Praise the Lord for Calvary. Are you thankful for that this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. Turn your Bibles to Daniel and chapter 3. It's good to have Glory Bound with us this morning and, and uh, have Heartland here represented at the church. My, Hallie and I both went to Heartland. The cars went to Heartland. Uh, Larry the fourth went to Heartland. And uh, we've, got, we've got several Heartland alumni here this morning. Just thankful uh, for the school and how it trained us and prepared us for ministry and what God had for us. So uh, we look here in Daniel chapter 3 and we see the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's one of the best known stories in the Bible, perhaps. And there's about three young men who were taken into Babylonian captivity and invaded, invaded from their hometown, brought there to serve Nebuchadnezzar. But we find living testimonies of God's blessings to those that obey him. And uh, men that stood when everybody else bowed. And we're going to look here in Daniel chapter 3 and uh, read beginning in verse 8 together. It says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. And they spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that, he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, salt, but, sackbut, and psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, Ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. This morning I want to preach to you for just a little bit on the thought of standing in a bowing world. Standing in a bowing world. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, I thank you, God, for the call to preach on my life. Lord, I pray this morning that you would enable me, God, to preach your message clearly. We pray that you'd help every person in the pew this morning, God, to receive your word as as we see it together today and as as you've given it to us, and it would be a help, it would be an encouragement, God, that many in here, Lord, and fathers in particular, Lord, would be, uh, Lord, encouraged and emboldened, God, to stand for the truth that we have in your word and to raise our children, Lord, to stand as well. Lord, bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As a father, I have a desire to impress upon my children the most important things in life, such as the sport teams I like. It's very important to me from a young age that my children love St. Louis Cardinals baseball. 
I grew up just south of St. Louis there. It's a very important thing to me. And I remember holding Jackson. He was six months old in 2011. I'm, I'm holding there game seven as the Cardinals clinched the World Series. And what a memory that was, holding my son and having to whisper scream so I didn't wake him or Hallie up that night. I remember that very well. I want my children to know that the Indianapolis Colts is the NFL team that we root for. The Cowboys are okay. We'll, we will support them and, and cheer for them as long as they're not playing the Colts. That's the rule in the house. That's how we're going to, to stand. I want to teach them to like uh, certain snacks that I like to eat. I grew up eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches. My dad liked peanut butter and banana sandwiches, and I like peanut butter and banana sandwiches. And this week, I made four of my children peanut butter and banana sandwiches, and they like it. It's an awesome thing. My, their mother and I, we've done our best to assimilate them to our ways, to the things that we like, to the things that are important. You know, when these men arrived in Babylon, the Babylonians tried their best to assimilate the Hebrews into their Babylonian culture. When they got there, these men actually had Hebrew names. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and of course, Daniel was with them as well in this book here. Daniel, his name, when he arrived, was, meant God is my judge, and his name was later changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel is my judge. Hananiah, his name meant God is gracious, and his name was changed to Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun god. Mishael, his name means who is like God, and his name was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Venus. Azariah, his name means the Lord is my helper, and his name was changed to Abednego, which means the worshiper of Nego or Nebo. That's the Babylonian god of wisdom. The kingdom of Babylonian, they, Babylon, Babylon did everything they could to get these young men to change their way of living, even down to the foods that they ate. And we can look in the beginning of this book, they tried to convince them to eat foods that were forbidden under the law of God. These men stood, they purposed in their heart, they would not defile themselves with the king's meat, and they convinced them to let them give them a trial period, and at the end of that time, they were found to be healthier than all the others that ate of that diet. They tried to get them to abandon their God and to adopt the lifestyle and the gods of Babylon, but they wouldn't, and when these men were called in, they were found to be ten times wiser than the wisest men of Babylon. And just as they tried to change those men, can I remind you this morning that the devil does not want you to live for God? He wants to destroy the home. You know, much of the world today calls the family that God intended all people to have the nuclear family. It's damaging to have a mother and a father, and it's damaging to all be in the house together, and, and, and it just brings insecurities about everyone in the household. That's what the world and that the devil has convinced people to think this morning. It's insecure for a child to have one mother, one father. And then if you marry somebody and you have an actual family, an actual spouse, then one day though that person's going to die and they're going to leave you all alone. There's better financial opportunities to have more of a modern family and for everybody just to do their own thing and coexist there together. And the devil this morning wants to get people living by the lust of the flesh. He wants to pervert the minds of, of this generation and the, the generations to follow. He is doing his best to destroy the identity that God has given each individual that's walking the face of this earth to a point of them questioning their identity so much they were born with to questioning the identity of the God that created them. And little by little, he has deceived our society by using terms of love, acceptance, and tolerance to take us away from what they say of the Lord. 
And many have, have been given into the prompting of the watering down of the Bible to adapt truths to better fit our society. And there's, there's people, there are groups that have joined themselves together at this point in, in history to change the meaning of the Word of God or the interpretation that we have in the Word of God. And I want to remind you today that it is not ours to change. It's God's inspired word to us that he's preserved and, and given to us to live by and hold to no matter what people may think or philosophers may tell us. The Bible says the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God endureth forever. God did not give us his word to adapt and make it what we want it to be. The Bible says every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Then he says, add, not, add thou not unto his words. Lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. According to the word of God, if any individual tries to tell you the Bible no longer means what it means, they are a liar. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. We look at these young Hebrew men here, they were blessed and they were promoted even as they denied culture and beliefs that were given to them. And as we arrive here to our text this morning, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though they were successful and respected, they found themselves facing a life and death situation. They could stand for God and face death, or they could deny God and live. And as we read this story, and as you know it this morning, we know they chose to stand for God, and because they did, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. There was danger. There were threatenings. But they stood for their God and their faith. And that's what we need today. We need men and women to stand. We need men and women this morning to protect their children and to teach them what the word of God says. And for fathers to stand for the word of God without apology. This message, I have no doubt, is what God wanted me to preach for Father's Day. It's a message for fathers, but it's a message this morning for every believer. To stand in a world that is bowing. And as we look at our text this morning, we are reminded of the truth that, first of all, there is a pressure to bow. King Nebuchadnezzar said bow. And everybody listened except for those three men, and there's a depiction of that on the back of your bulletin there where there's a place to take notes where you can see possibly what that would have looked like, how intimidating that must have been for them in that day. But today... As society has screamed, bow, many have given in. And there's a pressure this morning for us to bow, first of all, from our convictions. And we look here in verse 8, and there's this golden image that was set up by Nebuchadnezzar, and it's described in the beginning of the chapter, again mentioned there in verse 8. Most likely, we believe, Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of himself, and he says, acknowledge this, affirm this, bow to this, follow our demands, or be killed. And as this command was given, everybody gave in except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their faith in God would not allow them to stoop to the level of the people around them, those that were following the king, and their convictions made them different from others around them in that day. It definitely made them stand out. Nebuchadnezzar found out, and he approached them about it. He brought them to him. He had promoted them. He liked them. He found them to be wise, and he made his demands very clear to them. Those of us that know the Lord, those of us that understand what the Word of God says, we know that anyone who is saved is expected to have a different standard of living than what much of the world 
does and, and lives by it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, come out from among them and be separate. He says, touch not the unclean thing. In Galatians chapter 5, just a few weeks ago, we looked there and we were reminded of the works of the flesh and what that looks like. And then we were reminded on the other side of the fruits of the Spirit. And those contrast very much so. When we look at a society who once stood for the Bible, and we look at a country who was founded on biblical principles, and now we see in large part a people whose beliefs are ever drifting away from the convictions that we once had. And for years now, little by little, the devices that we have in, in the world that we live in and the things that we love so much have normalized many of us to sin and watered down to religion to a point of influencing people to turn from godly convictions and to live to please self. And it's only going to get worse. We see a battle going on in this country that we live in for the rights to influence our children. I, I, I mentioned once ago, I really I don't ever intend to be political, but our president said there's no such thing as someone else's child. The nation's children are all our children, and that's the message that is being pushed out. And I want to tell you, that is not of God. And I want to stand up here this morning to say they are not our nation's children. They are children that God has given to each and every mom and dad to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Bible says children are in heritage of the Lord. You know what that means? That means they are an inheritance from God. Something that God has passed on to the, the one who has given life to it. They are God's children. They need to be raised God's way. Not the nation's children. Not the teacher's children. God has expectations on every mother and father to raise them according to the word of God. It's our job to teach them. It's our job to put them in a position to learn the Bible and understand who Jesus is and, and love God for themselves and to believe what we believe, not just because we told them to, not just follow it because we instructed them to or we said that's the best way to live, but for them to understand why we do what we do. I, I love there in Genesis, I just read it this week, and Joseph said unto his father, they are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. If you have a child, God, it is a gift from God. God expects you to do right with that gift. You know, there's many people in this world that are against the philosophies that are being pushed against us. Many people. But as there's little stands against the ways of society, any opposition in their way is, is being yelled back at as hateful, wrong, not loving. For a parent to try to raise their children the way they know is right. We look at what's going on in our country. We look at the, the White House. We saw our president saying just a week ago he wants the whole world to know that we are a nation of pride while those flags flew next to our American flag. Sin is being celebrated. There, there's calls to celebrate abortion. A normalization to sleep around and enjoy one's sexuality however they see fit. The Bible says marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I'm not just, we don't just preach these things as we think they're right. We preach them because that's what the Bible says. And the, the church is being neglected by many believers. There's a great victory the last few years. The devil made what was essential something that was optional. We need to be in church. 
The Bible is being adapted to match the philosophy of man. And if we stand for the Bible and the principles we find in the Word of God, I want to tell you this morning, you will be opposed at one point or another. There's pressure to bow from our convictions. There's also pressure not just to bow from our convictions, there's pressure to bow from our God. We look, we look there in verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar went to them and he, he said, you get another chance, bow or die. He said, is it true that when the music played, you didn't bow to my idol? And he, he, he looks at them there and he says, uh, there in verse 14, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, it'll be good for you. But if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Then look at this. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? He challenged their God. He mocked him. Who is that God? He implied that he was more powerful than their God. He told them to bow to his will over their God's will. His ways were better. His ways were more evolved. I don't think it's a stretch for us this morning to say that we live in somewhat of an anti-God society. There's a growing atheistic way of believing and living. And maybe not everyone this morning is denouncing God. We can go throughout the city of Midland. We have many people that will say they go to church and, and they, they believe in God. And I love hearing those things, but... They may not denounce God, but men have become their own God. And just as we spoke about a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 1, they are, many are worshiping the creature more than the creator. God is being rejected. And, and the beliefs of man are, are starting to trump the standards that God has given us. Can I remind you this morning that we were not created for ourselves? Revelation chapter 4 it says, for thy pleasure, we are, they are and were created. You were created for God's pleasure. You weren't created for yourself. You weren't created for your spouse. Of anything else, you were created for the pleasure of God. Your life is not your own. My life first, I've shared with you many times already in the last six months, and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them which died for them and rose again. But we look at this text and everyone was bowing to the idol and worshiping what society had laid out for them. And we look at our world and convictions are leaving and God is being rejected. There's a great pressure to bow. But as we continue on here, there's an encouragement that we must determine to stand. Is it true? You aren't bowing down to my idol? You aren't bending to affirm what I've placed before you. I'm going to tell you, things will be a lot better for you when you hear the music. Just go with it. Have some fun. Stop being so uptight. You'll be able to keep living. But even when they were threatened with a horrible death, these men refused to bow. And I love what they said. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to him, very respectful and really with a spirit of love. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. It's not something we are flippantly deciding to do. We've dis we know what we are determined to do. 
If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We won't serve your God. We won't bow down to your image. They purpose to stand for God. And as the world may continue to push and get Christians to compromise, to denounce all of what we have in the word of God, we must determine to stand for Jesus. This morning, he expects nothing less from any of us than total commitment. You know, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, then what? Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Jesus said unto them, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking bad is fit for the kingdom of God. We need to be determined to take a stand with no turning back. As we look here in verse 17, they stood and they were able to stand, first of all, because their confidence was in God. It wasn't in Nebuchadnezzar, it wasn't in their uh, ability to avoid it, it was in God. They said, our God whom we serve is what? able to deliver us. It's important this morning that all of us know this. They said if God wants to deliver, he can. And if he doesn't want to deliver, it's only because he chose not to deliver. They they knew what God could do. They didn't know how he would do it. All they knew is that he could. The psalmist wrote, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Can I I tell you today, there's going to be many people in life that are going to let you down. But God never will. And there may be people in here this morning who had a father that failed you. But God, your heavenly father, never will. It's better to trust in God than anyone else, anything else. There's no doubt in these three men's mind as to the power God had to save them. But they had no idea how he'd do it. They didn't know how he'd work out his plan. They, they, the situation to them wasn't very clear. You know, God's power sometimes is extended in dramatic ways to deliver his people. We could look in the book of Exodus and we see a people who had been released by Pharaoh. And all of a sudden there's an enemy to the north. There's a Red Sea in front of them. Nowhere to go. What did God do? He parted the water where they walked on dry ground. That was a miracle. At other times God's power is withheld. And his people are allowed to suffer. They understood that. But either way, they were not going to bow to the image. They were able to stand because their confidence was in God. Secondly, they were able to stand because not only was their confidence in God, but they were dedicated to their God. We look at it in verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. No matter what, if he, if he doesn't deliver, we're still going to stand for him. They are committed to worship and serve only their God. And nothing could deter them from that. You know, in Acts chapter 5, some of the disciples had been arrested for preaching the gospel. They were arrested, they were questioned. After they were released, they went out and they began to share the gospel again. Some officers saw what they were doing. They were surprised. They went to them. They said, did we not command you that this was over? 
You can't preach about Jesus anymore. And what did Peter say? We ought to obey God rather than man. As a country, we are, we're not there. there. There's no laws right now prohibiting me from preaching to you what the Bible says. There's no laws prohibiting me from sharing the gospel with other people. But I want to tell you, when the law of man is in conflict with the law of God, we must obey the law of God. And these three Hebrew men, they refused to bow to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Hundreds of years before this, there were midwives in Egypt that refused to kill the boys at birth. Daniel, just a little bit after the story, he refused to go according to the decree of the king and prayed there right where everybody could see. There's not many laws in place right now to make us go against God. But even though there's not any laws right now, there is a pressure to bow. And may we be determined to continue to stand for the word of God. May we be determined this morning to stand for the family, to take a stand at work, to not give in to temptation of the flesh that comes from interactions with the opposite sex. There's going to be a lot of pressure. There's going to be trials that come. There's going to be health scares. There's going to be trouble at the job. And may we be determined in those moments to stand when all around us people are giving in. Where where does God come this morning in terms of your priorities? We look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Are you facing any decisions right now where there is pressure to bow or submit God is looking for men and women who will stand we look here in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 it says wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us there's a job given to lay aside every weight And to run the race God has given us. To live as he's called us to live. What motivation do we have? How can we do that? Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's a lot easier to stand when we know who we are looking to. It's a lot harder to stand when we are going through life with weighed down what priorities have you set up in your home this this last week what sort of dedication did your children see to your God are are we praying with them Are are we making church a priority are we encouraging them to read their Bible to have some sort of devotional life I believe they're never too young to start any of that there's books there's things available to children have they heard you give praise to God I'm not asking you this morning if you spend time with your kids I'm not asking you today if you if if you love them I believe everybody here does I read this from a preacher this week he said if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball but fail to keep to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ I have failed as a father We must be determined to stand for the things of God. We must be determined to teach the next generation to fix their eyes on Christ. 
So pressure to bow. We must determine to stand. And we can do this this morning because third, thirdly, our God is greater. And the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were cast in the fire and this amazing thing happened. Nebuchadnezzar had the, his greatest soldiers carry these men to throw them in the furnace and those men died when they were first exposed to the heat because he had heated it seven times hotter than before. But as these men were thrown in, not only did they not die, but the only thing that happened to them was the bands that were around their wrists were burned away. And they were totally unharmed from the flames. Look at verse 24. And Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Our God is greater. And as we look at this first, we understand he's greater because, first of all, he is present. They were thrown in the flames, and, they, and it was discovered they were not alone in the fire. There was a fourth man, and that was Jesus Christ. The God they had testified about before met them in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, as he sees this, he's looking around him. Everybody else is, sees what is going on in there. He could not believe his eyes. They threw three men in, and now they see four men not only standing up, not only being kept with, without harm, but there's a fourth man walking with them in the fire. So look at the story. I understood that God did not deliver them from the furnace God delivered them in the furnace. And even in a furnace in Babylon, seven times hotter than anyone could even bear to stand being outside of it, God kept his promise to his people that he would be with them. And we have the same promise. What did Jesus tell us before he left this world? He said, lo, I am with you, what? Always. He's also said that he will never leave us nor forsake us. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and no matter how hot the flames may be, no matter what testing will come, he is there. And notice here, as Jesus is with them, the fire did nothing more than burn away the things that tied them up. The, the, the furnace freed them from the ropes that held them. And I, I want to tell you this morning, God may use a trial or a furnace experience in your life to give you better opportunities to serve him or to bring more glory to his name. Not, not only did the, uh, the cords, were they freed from his hands, but as we look back in verse 25, it says they have no hurt. It didn't kill them. It didn't even burn them. He allowed them to go through the fire, but he didn't allow the fire to go through them. And, and the furnace may be frightening, but I want to tell you, if you are saved, if you're a child of God, you are not sent there to be destroyed, but you are sent there to be helped in your growing in God. He doesn't allow it for your harm. He allows it for your good. He's not only present, he's also powerful, isn't he? We'll look at it in verse 27. And the princes, governors, and captains, the king's counselors being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies that fire had no power, nor was in hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. 
When they came out of the furnace, they were inspected thoroughly. You can imagine these, these three men there standing together, and they're surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar. He has to see it closer. All these soldiers, they're there. They're touching them. They're, they're, they're not hot to touch. Their, their hair is fine. Their, their clothes are not singed. And then they start sniffing them. I mean, they're probably putting their noses right on these guys' coats. They're trying to find any hint of smoke. And the longer they smell, they smell nothing. We can't even make bacon in our house without it smelling like bacon for a week. The power of God overcame the furnace completely. We have a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And when God does something, he does it all the way. When God heals, he heals completely. When God saves, he saves completely. When he forgives, he forgave us completely. Whatever he does, he does all the way. And these men stood by the Lord, and the Lord stood by them. You know, God has a way of strengthening us to help us stand for him. I'm often mentioning our theme for the year, by his spirit. The spirit filling of God is not just an emotional experience. It's, it's not a, a weird overtaking. It is the person of God that dwells within you, enabling you to do everything he's commanded. He'll enable you to stand. He'll enable you to remain faithful. He'll enable you to, to, to live with a testimony for his glory. He is powerful. He's present. Last thing, he is good. As we finish this chapter, everyone involved in this left with a greater understanding of who their God was and what he could do. You know, going in there in verse 17, they didn't know it was going to happen. He might save us, he might not. But they trusted him anyway. And I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what opposition may think. It doesn't matter what someone may try to do to win. God is more powerful and God is good to his people. And he was praised for this. Look at verse 29. This man went from killing anybody who didn't bow from that God to bow to him to saying, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language and speak anything amidst the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. A little extravagant. And their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Because of what he saw God do for these three men, he saw their God a little differently, didn't he? I believe one of the reasons that the Lord allowed this event to happen, to allow these men to even go into the furnace, was so that King Nebuchadnezzar could be brought to a belief in that God. Eventually, he's, he surrendered his pride. He placed his faith in God. And I want to tell you, you never know how God will use a testing in your life. And, and what we do now is, is that he will use them for your good and for his glory. What God allows to happen, the problems, the furnace time, the trial can be used for his good. And he continued to bless. We looked there in verse 30. It says, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They were faithful, their lives were threatened, but as they stood for God on the other side, they were uh, even more promoted than they already were. And I've come to realize in my life, oftentimes God doesn't use anyone in a great way until he first allows that person to go through a furnace of affliction. 
Look in the Old Testament. You can't stand on Mount Carmel in power until you side by a dry brook in humility. See, a man like Moses, he couldn't lead a nation of Israel until he, until he first spent 40 years watching someone else's sheep. Our faithfulness in the furnace will lead to greater things. Don't give in to the world. Don't, don't yield to the fear. The Lord will honor faithfulness. As we're wrapping up here, there's three things that were very clear. God has a purpose in everything he allows. Everyone saw that fourth man in the fire. People came to believe in God because of this experience. Second thing, God is enough in every situation. They didn't know how, but they knew he could, and he delivered. And then the third thing, God is worth standing for. As difficult as it may be in the world we live in, we have clear commands. Our life is not our own. So do we put God first? Are we going to put his word first? Do we, do we do what we do entirely upon internal principle based in the word of God? Or are we going to compromise and give in to the pressures to bow? I love there in verse 28, as he spoke of these men, he says they're in the middle of the verse and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies. They yielded their bodies. What does that sound like? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's exactly what they did. That's a picture of that verse. And he said, Blessed are the people, or excuse me, blessed is, blessed is the God who can get that kind of allegiance out of people. There's a man by the name of Stuttart Kennedy. He, had a, he was a pastor in England. He was a chaplain in the World War. But he was also a poet, and as a chaplain, he had to go to war, and he had to leave his family. And he had a little son that he wanted to write a letter to. And this is what he said. He said, the first prayer I want my son to learn to say for me is not, God, keep daddy safe. The first prayer I want my son to learn is, God, make daddy brave. And if he has hard things to do, make him strong to do them. And he wrote on to his family, he said, life and death don't matter, my son. Right and wrong do. Daddy dead is daddy still. But daddy dishonored before God is something too awful for words. He was right. Daddy dead is daddy still. But a dad who compromises is something awful. That's the that's sort of Christian integrity that God calls for in every believer. That's what every Christian home needs. Is a dad who will stand for his God. In a world that is bowing, stand. Trust God. Watch him work through you, watch him work in your children, and then see him be glorified through it. Stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.